0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday, June 20th folks, it is Juneteenth. If you have forgotten, today is the first year that we're celebrating. This as an official federal holiday. So as a reminder, the ag commodities are closed today. There's no trading until the market opens up for the evening session. And of course, a lot of banks and government offices are also closed today. So if you're running around through town, getting some errands done, keep that in mind. We are going to talk markets. However, several other commodities are trading, notably energies. Darren Newsome of Newsom Analysis will join us in just a minute. Then in the second, second segment, we're going to be checking in with John Baranek of DTN Weather. Continue to see summer heat up. That drives thunderstorms, that drives moisture, and all those things can move the markets. John will share with us what to anticipate this week. And in segment three, we're going to get another update from DC from our friend Jackie Fatka over at Farm Progress. But let's kick it off with Darren Newsome. Newsome analysis. Darren, crude oil has seen quite a sell-off. That August contract, West Texas Intermediate was trading at 120, just a short Short three trading days ago, now we're down sub 110. Darren, what's going on in the crude oil markets?
1: Yeah, good morning, Mike. it's it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, fundamentally, the market hasn't changed at all. We we still see incredibly bullish fundamentals in uh, in, in the in crude oil, gasoline, distillates, uh, you name it. Uh, but we've got some we've got some investment selling going on over here. If we, if we look at the latest. CFTC commitment to traders reports and i like to look at the legacy futures only it's really the only one that matters uh because it just shows the futures contracts and how they and, and they've changed positions they, they decreased their their position by twenty five thousand contracts or so and this was as of a week ago tuesday and so then we saw a lot of selling again to close out the week so i'm anticipating this group to continue to sell why not fun it is not tied to fundamentals and even though i always say fundamentals win in the end what we've got going on here is more of a, an overall investment scare. We know what's going on in, in, the, in the U.S. Uh, stock indexes and in the global stock indexes, and this is weighing on commodities across the board, investments across the board. And we certainly saw it play out in crude oil last week. We also have you know, the administration uh, basically demanding uh, more uh, gasoline and uh, distillates and be made, but, but if we think about that, that's not bearish for crude oil. That means we're going to use more crude oil. So that would actually be bullish crude oil. I think probably one of the most interesting interesting aspects of this market is that from both sides of the aisle, from both sides of the aisle recently, we're hearing talk. that Everyone wants to have the energy complex or the energy industry nationalized these days. It makes no sense whatsoever. We're seeing a normal business cycle, normal economic cycle, which includes inflation, and we'll just have to see how this plays out. But right now, looks to be a lot of investment selling.
0: All right, Darren. And that kind of, I think, tees up the next question. You touched on the very bullish fundamentals that exist for this industry. Of course, mm-hmm. we know what the capacity is like out there, and it's it's just not enough. But I'm curious, the flip side of that, the demand fundamentals. Are these elevated yeah. prices starting to eat into demand destruction?
1: No. I mean, everyone, you, you hear reports... You know, consumers are backing away, this, that, and everything else. But then you go out on the roads. You go on, you, you just, you know, you were talking about people being out and about today in, in the town, cities, whatever it might be. You go out in any city, any town, and all of the streets, all of the roads are packed. You go out on the highway. Highways, interstates are packed. Travel is at pre-pandemic levels. You, you, you know, we've got, we've got air flight uh, you know, bookings hitting, hitting record highs. Demand is not going down. Demand is going up. And so this is a very simple supply demand situation. Why are prices so high? Because demand has not peaked. We've not reached that pain point, that tipping point that starts to bring everything down again. Will we? Most likely at some point. But then all of a sudden, again, both sides of the aisle, you get these arguments. Oh, the economy is either great or it's terrible. Everyone wants to say it's a terrible economy. It's going to crash. It's going to crash demand continues to go up spending continues to be there not seeing all of the all of the signs of worry that so many are until we hit that pain point we just haven't reached it yet
0: all right darren well i'm curious because agriculture of course uses a lot of diesel fuel but as we get closer to harvest for an industry that is going to require a lot of natural gas looking at that market darren and of course natural gas is a crazy market to look at have we (laughs) peaked was that eight and change that we saw last week 10 days ago was that the high we're going to see for the summer in natty gas
1: i'm going to say that was the high for that day uh because other than that i'm not making any projections on natural gas from a purely technical point of view, if I were to look at this, at just take the name off of it, not you know worrying about who it is or what it is or even like that. And I see, okay, we hit a high of nine sixty-six, and now we're below. Now we're now we're almost three dollars below that. What I say, yeah, this market looks like it's peaked. Sure, absolutely. But then we have to add in this is natural gas. The situation in Europe has not fixed itself. Yes, they're looking at alternative ways of energy right now. We're hearing more talk about coal. All of these sorts of things but it's still natural gas. There's still, the the global market still is being reshuffled. It has not worked itself out yet. So anything is possible in this market. Technically, looks like it's topped. Fundamentally, I don't think we can make that argument yet.
0: All right, I think it's a fair breakdown of that market. Darren, you touched on the CFTC numbers that were released here last week. Mm -hmm. Are we seeing more money flow into commodities to combat inflation? Has that started to ramp up?
1: No, we're actually seeing it pull out again. Uh, this is more. This has more to do with uh, the idea that you know there's this concern over global investments as a whole. Plus, you know, central banks across across the world, you know, around the world, are all taking the same approach right now, and they're starting to raise interest rates to battle to battle uh, inflation. This is where things get interesting. Again, this is all part of the normal economic cycle. But what gets interesting here is investment money should still flow to markets that have bullish fundamentals, not just you know not just commodities that are going up because the commodity sector as general in general is rallying. They look for those markets with bullish fundamentals. We still have corn. We still have soybeans. Uh, cattle, no. Hogs, kind of on the fence on that one. Wheat, also kind of on the fence, not overly bullish. But then the energy complex is still bullish. I mean, so I'm thinking that we're going to see some of that money start coming back into the energy complex at some point when global investments start to calm down, because you can raise interest rates, but if that doesn't change demand, you're still back to the same supply and demand issues you were before all this got going.
0: Darren, short-term relief on oil prices. Is there anything we could do? Saudi start printing, pumping more oil, or we start to get more releases from the SPR? Would that do any good?
1: Well, the easiest way to control prices and, and to change the situation is to turn it over to USDA and let it start making up fictitious uh, production numbers, which is what they do in agriculture to, to control, you know, control rallies like this. Other than that, there's probably not much we can do. We're not, we, we can't force OPEC to pump more oil. They've already said they're going to. They weren't even meeting their previous, uh, their previous uh, production uh, quotas. So it's unlikely they're going to do much. As far as pulling from strategic reserves, that's finite. Set it's only going to have so much effect.
0: Absolutely, it will. Always appreciate our conversations with Darren Newsom, Darren of Darren Newsom Analysis. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me on again, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. We'll talk weather with John Baranick of DTN here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
2: Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
3: The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. As you can say, our living and life giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for
4: 30 bushels. Soft. And crumbly. Tom.
3: How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes. Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win.
0: agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
4: keeping america's farmers and ranchers informed on aoa
0: now back to mike pearson welcome back to aoa ladies and gentlemen It's time to take a look at the skies with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks so much for joining us here on this Monday.
5: Yeah, good to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
0: You know, it is summer, John. Of course, well, I guess it's officially summer tomorrow on the 21st, but it is getting hot across the country once again. What do you see in store for us here across the U.S. today?
5: Yeah, definitely has been getting hot here, Uh, and we've got another hot one, hot week, really. For most of us here across uh, the country's growing regions, uh, What we've seen over the last 10 days or so is really this big bubble of high, high pressure across the middle of the country uh, that's providing all the heat and uh, increasing the humidity across much of the country as well. And, uh, and a, a really a trough off the west coast, and another one off the east coast. That really hasn't changed. What we've seen is uh, this western trough kind of right over the top of that ridge and uh, move into the east coast and kind of replace that one you kind of have this recycling pattern going on we still got that going on here uh this week so still pretty hot we've got a couple of fronts moving through as those western troughs move through um one's going to be a little bit stronger here this weekend uh we get a, a better shot of colder air uh, moving through more of the country here this week this weekend into early next week so um, until we get to that point, though, it looks like it's going to be pretty hot for much of the country. Uh, we've got temperatures uh, close to 100 degrees all the way as far as north as kind of Minnesota and Wisconsin, and uh, uh, you know, some hotter temperatures kind of moving in behind a, a front midweek until um, and, and so we get to that weekend uh, frontal boundary that will kind of cool things off.
0: All right, John, heat is here and I understand NOAA released their 30 and 90 day extended forecast here this past week and it sounds like they think this heat might be sticking around for a while. Do you agree?
5: For the most part, uh, we do. Um, we've got some subtle changes from what the the weather service is, is putting out there, but for the most part, I mean, if you look at uh, the month of July and August, uh, I think what we'll see is kind of You know, it won't be exactly like last year, but something similar to last year. So, last year we had this ridge that I just talked about, kind of parked over the Plains and the Rockies, um, basically from June all the way to mid-August. We might see something similar here uh, this year where we get that kind of, you know, I talked about it kind of over the middle of the country. We're probably going to see that kind of regress again back towards uh, the Western Plains and the Rockies here going into July. So, July should kind of follow something similar to what we saw last summer in July. Um, but, you know, there are differences with, between every year, even if the pattern looks the same. I think one thing that we're kind of seeing here this year that's different from last year was last year's rich was just completely dominant and went all the way up through the Canadian prairies. I think this year it's going to be a little bit on the weaker side. So we'll have opportunities for, for some more um, troughs and systems to move through the country this year than we did last year. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to really matter in terms of precipitation too much, uh, especially for those areas kind of out in the western corn belt. Uh, I think we're still headed towards some drier conditions here for the months of both July and August, too. So, um, you know, I think uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, the, the talk here um, at, at the National Weather Service and their longer range is some uh, more frequent precipitation events that might end up things towards normal, I'd lean a little bit on the drier side for, for some of those areas up there in the Northwest.
0: And as we think about the dryness, John, I pulled up last week's drought monitor. This is the one that was valid on the 14th. So just about seven days ago here for our listeners. And we've seen some real improvement in that drought monitor north and east of the Missouri River through the Dakotas into Minnesota, but boy, south and west of the Missouri and even up through northwest Iowa, that dryness is starting to get intense. Do you see any relief for those folks here in the short term, say the 10 day outlook? Yeah, in the short
5: term, we've got a couple fronts coming through, so they've got opportunities. Now, unfortunately, it's with thunderstorms and clusters, and we all know how thunderstorms work. You know, you can see them on the radar. They look like they're going to hit you, and they end up just completely missing you, or you only get a few sprinkles out of it. So uh, there's going to be some haves and have-nots for sure. Um, If if some of those people are lucky that are out there in the drought areas, uh, they'll they'll pick up uh, some decent rainfall out of these couple of fronts and move through, but... You know, there's going to be, I I think, a lot more areas that get missed uh, that are in drought than than those that get hit. A lot of the areas that, that look like they'll get hit better are actually where we don't have drought, so right around Minnesota and then through the eastern Corn Belt as well.
0: And that eastern corn belt, of course, you mentioned they're not seeing drought. They are, for the most part, fairly fairly sitting well with uh, with moisture uh, quantities around the area. Is that going to be a theme? Are we going to see this haves on the eastern corn belt and the have-nots on the western corn belt with moisture as this situation you've described starts to set up?
5: Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be like completely the case like it was last year. I mean, last year it was almost you could almost have a, a dividing line. Uh, right in the middle of the Corn Belt where the west was just terrible and the east was, was, was fantastic. I think this year we're going to be a little bit more um, regional and patchy with that, but I think the overall theme is probably still the same as that. So areas out in the east, we could have some areas that um, uh, that dry up and have some and some poorer conditions out there. In the west, we might have some areas that do just fine. Um, so I don't think we'll see that just stark contrast we have uh, last year, but I think on the on on average, if you go west to east across the Corn Belt, you'll see improving conditions here, um, or or better conditions across the east than you would across the west overall.
0: All right, John, and as we get into summer, of course, the tropics start to heat up as well. What are you seeing developing down in the Gulf of Mexico? Is is that water temperature warm enough to really get some things fired up?
5: Well, it really is. If they, can, uh, if they would, were able to get the right conditions down there, uh, you get one of these things coming off of, of Africa, move all the way across the Atlantic Ocean out into the Caribbean, and into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and the waters there are not going to be an issue. Um, one thing that is an issue under this current kind of upper-level pattern we have is what's called shear. Now, shear is actually a really good thing for thunderstorm development but not a good thing for hurricanes and tropical systems. So, um the shear that's been going on across the Gulf of Mexico has just been ripping apart uh potential systems that uh, that are moving through. So, they haven't had a real opportunity yet to to really get uh, anything going. We continue to see that shear be kind of intense um going into the the last half of June and July as well. Um you know, there's other things that that occur that kind of impact uh, the potential for for some uh, tropical development here in the in the Gulf of Mexico and in, and in the Atlantic, um, but we're not seeing anything that's really uh, conducive for that sort of development here um, for probably the next 30 days. I'd have to talk with my longer range guys to see if they've seen anything kind of beyond the middle of of July, but really we haven't really seen anything for the next 30 days or so.
0: John, that was a fascinating point you just made about shear helping thunderstorms but hindering hurricane development. For those of us who aren't in the meteorology industry, can you tell us what you mean by shear? What is it, and how does it form?
5: Yeah, good point. Sorry. So yeah, um, really, shear is basically a change in height when, in terms of wind speed and or direction. And um, in the middle of the country, that helps keep thunderstorms moving. Uh, across, those are, that's what causes uh, thunderstorms to organize and, um, you know, not be able to collapse on themselves. But you want them to collapse on themselves in the tropics um, to really produce that central eye to get everything to move around it. So, um, yeah, it, it's good for creating long lines of thunderstorms that move across the country, um, but it's not good at keeping stuff contained in one area, which is what you need. You really need that heat engine to form Uh, over a body of water. um, And the shear just kind of takes all that energy and and spreads it out. So um, uh, good for for thunderstorms here across the middle of the country, not in the tropics.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. John, before we let you go, one topic you have been keeping an eye on, of course, continues to be water temperatures in the Pacific. Bring us up to speed on La Nina.
5: Yeah, so we haven't really seen a whole lot of changes uh, with that. We're kind of uh, we've seen, if anything, a little bit of, of warming across uh, the middle of the Pacific. Not a whole lot, and um, a lot of it's kind of underneath the surface, but um, uh, you know, we're still just hovering on that La Nina category here um, between neutral and a, and a La Nina state. I think we, we maintain that here over the next couple of months. We may dip uh, a week or two or so into that neutral category. Uh, through probably the end of uh, July or August, but uh, you know, it's not gonna have a huge impact on our weather here in, in this part of the country. If anything, um, La Nina helps to kind of reinforce that ridge that I had mentioned uh, across the middle or, of the country or into the Rockies, um, but other than that, it doesn't really have a huge influence uh, on our weather here. Uh, what it does do is, is improve conditions for the tropics, But uh, right now, we're not really seeing that play out.
0: All right. We could see some some development further if this continues to accelerate or even goes into a neutral category. Our thanks to John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for talking to us today.
5: Always good to talk to you, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka, policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
6: It's been our legacy year after year, and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com. And let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next.
4: Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
2: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Corn and beans are firm this morning with a little weakness seen in the wheat complex. Uh, While livestock is all showing green, between about 20 and 40 cents for the fat cattle, uh, 30, 45 cents for the feeders, and up triple-digit gains for the front-month hogs. Crude oil was trading higher into the early morning hours, but has settled back since and is down about 350 or so a barrel. Crude has moved off highs from earlier this week, but remains within striking distance of the $120 barrel mark. Still working on a higher end low so far today. The U.S. slapped some sanctions on Iran, China, and the Emirates yesterday in hopes of receiving a nuclear deal. While Libyan oil output lags, Russia remains hamstrung, and world demand is still seen rising over 2% in 2023 by the IEA current national weather service forecast for the 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day time frames as well as their current seasonal outlooks for July and the July August September stretch show why grain traders are loath to hold short positions into the weekend especially an extended holiday one in this instance king corn has been on a solid run since June 1st lows punching through technical resistance this week with fears of hot and dry weather now stretching into July Of course, we've seen forecasts turn quickly before. On the flip side of the long weekend, that gives said forecast an extra day to evolve. Profit-taking will be swift and severe if the trade starts to see evidence of any type of cooler and wetter July for corn pollination. And let's get a look at some of those commodity numbers. July corn up four and a half at 792 and three quarters. July beans up three and a half at 1713. Bean meal July up 590 a ton at 435.60. Bean oil July down 126 at 7508. Wheat Chicago July down four at 1074 and a quarter. Kansas City July down six at 1142 and a half. And that July Minneapolis wheat that is down nine and three quarters at 1199 and a quarter. While the Dow right now is down over 100 points, the dollar is sitting at 104.4, and crude oil is trading down a little over $3 at just under $115 a barrel. This is AOA. I'm Richard Ristvet.
3: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did, and just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson well, folks, thanks for joining us here on AOA Today. We have been talking a lot, folks, lately about Washington, D.C., because agriculture right now is the focus of so much action happening in Washington, D.C. And in fact, what's kind of neat to hear this summer is these actions aren't just happening in the Capitol. Senators and Congress people are getting out on the road, getting down to meet with farmers, meet with stakeholders throughout the country. And we saw that happen last Friday as the Senate Ag Committee went down to arkansas joining me today to talk about it is our friend jackie fatka the policy editor over at farm progress jackie thanks for joining us today
7: always great to visit with you mike
0: let's talk about what happened on friday down in arkansas senate ag committee took a trip
7: you know yeah this is the second field farm bill hearing that the senate ag committee has uh hosted and actually you know a few weeks actually at the end of april it was uh, in senator stabenow's home district in michigan state University. And then this was uh, Senator Bozeman, the ranking Republican member uh, in Arkansas and Jonesboro last week. So, yeah, a lot of the same uh, similar topics were, were brought up. You know, there's a lot of discussion about. Improving Title I programs, the importance of crop insurance. But, you know, when you look to the South, there's obviously not a lot of rice producers in Michigan, but, you know, rice and cotton producers were on the panel of producers who were there in the South. And, you know, rice producers are actually really struggling. Uh, They are not having the similar pattern where a lot of commodities have seen higher prices that have been paired with these higher input costs. But unfortunately, rice producers are not seeing those higher commodity prices to deal with those higher input costs, because they are dealing with some of those same high diesel, high fertilizer, high input costs that they haven't been able to offset with higher commodity prices. So that was a common message that you heard uh, from rice producers, almost two thirds of rice producers are not going to be profitable this year. So, you know, where could they change the farm bill program to adjust for for that? You know, we've talked here about maybe trying to figure out a way to increase the uh, the reference price for soybean producers obviously that's something that impacts everybody about soybean producers after we saw the china trade war and and then also kind of a big drop in prices they did not actually get a lot of payments through the last farm bill program so how do you adjust things to continue to provide that safety net so at the end of the day you can continue to have producers domestically producing our food and I think that was obviously all the commodity groups said that you know we also talked you know there was also talk about the conservation programs importance of that as well as broadband and the role of USDA to to provide some funds to to build up and support rural American needs not just the producer payments that we often talk about within the farm bill
0: That makes a lot of sense, Jackie, and I know we're still just getting started on these farm bill discussions, but as I think about the farm bills and their passage, they tend to fall into two categories. There are transformational farm bills that rewrite whole sectors, and then there seem to be tune-up farm bills that just kind of fine-tune what we've got already. As you think out to 2023, do you have a sense, is this going to be more of a tune-up discussion of the farm bill in Washington?
7: I do. I definitely think it's going to be a tune up. But you know, something that Senator Bozeman said, and and rightly so, you know, we we have a different situation as we head into this, this next farm bill. Uh, You know, as you look at coming out of the pandemic, as you look at what we could see with inflation, as you look at what, you know, now serious concerns about maybe heading into a recession, you talk about the war in Europe. So a lot of New added uncertainties that we have as we go into this next farm bill, but yeah, there's not enough research that I've been hearing touted to have these huge over, uh, you know, huge, huge changes in the farm bill program. I think we're going to see some tweaks um, and and how you continue to to make that work, but you know, everyone's asking for more money. And at the end of the day, the farm bill a lot of times comes down to how much money you have and how you can justify spending that money. And obviously we've been kind of spending a lot of money in the last couple of years. And so I think this is going to continue to be a, a big, big concern as you go forward. How do you fund this? And how do you make what a lot of people are asking for more money to put into the food security system here that we have, food safety net, in justifying that and being able to actually find the money to pay for it. So big, big, big discussions. You know, we've got last week, the uh, Senate had their field hearing this, this weekend, the house is doing actually a field hearing in, um, in Arizona, I believe. And then they've got another one coming up in California. So we're going to see more of these farm bill field hearings out and about. There's also a dairy one that's reviewing the dairy, The dairy industries, uh, you know, the farm bill impact on the dairy industry this week in D.C. and, and the House Ag. So lots of lots of focus on the farm bill as we look at what's worked, what hasn't and have some time to kind of flesh out what changes might be coming.
0: And, of course, the biggest determinant of what might be in the farm bill will come after the midterm elections, don't you think, Jackie, when we see who is in power in D.C.?
7: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had the nutrition oversight hearing in the House Ag. And I think we began to see that if we see Republicans in control in the House, which is a very legitimate possibility, uh, you could you could see that that fight kind of resurface from what we had in the last farm bill which was trying to find some of that money from maybe making changes to the snap program the food the uh food stamps is what we used to call them but it's now snap and so i think definitely how the elections pair uh fair will will impact the priorities of of the members that are in that in that leading position of writing the farm bill
0: All right, Jackie, let's take a step away from Congress and go over to the regulatory agencies in DC, specifically the EPA, I understand they've issued their final Endangered Species Act evaluations for neonicotinoid insecticides. What did they change? Uh,
7: You know, unfortunately, this is something that everybody, I don't think, wanted to go the way that that we we did end up seeing it. Um, EPA is 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 charged with trying to protect the environment, but also being able to provide approvals for some of the things that producers use for crop protection. Uh, you, You mentioned Uh, the word I hate saying, neonictoids, and being able to uh, have access to that. Well, this new report that they came out actually said almost two-thirds of endangered species are impacted by neoctoids. And so this is actually something that a lot of the ag groups had been concerned when they saw the draft because they felt EPA was not using current up-to-date data. So, you know, obviously, if you're using three times what a farmer would actually put on ground, it, it may actually be a- impacting to those species. But if you're using what what the farmers are saying that they're actually applying, they don't feel that, that it was a concern or a risk to those animals. And so unfortunately, EPA did not change from what they had originally within their uh, draft assessment. That was released several months ago. And so a lot of concerns coming out from from that and uh, you know there's just a lot of hits that we are seeing on the crop protection tool front you know another kind of court case that came down against glyphosate last week and maybe epa didn't account properly for whether it's assessment of glyphosate there's other some kind of minimal minimal use protection tools that are also kind of finding its way through the courts but clearly these these people are really attacking the the tools that farmers are using today. And so that's just just unfortunate that if if we don't have the tools to produce what we need to produce, it's going to be hard to continue to stay stay efficient, stay productive and be able to feed not only our our population but those around the world. And it's just really an attack i, I from a lot of these environmental groups and some of the court cases and I know i know we've got a good friend at epa rod snyder the ag advisor but there is a lot of challenges that epa is is kind of throwing at farmers these days
0: and jackie when we think about how epa does this this on the neonics especially this was the final rollout so there's no comment period this is just the final number unless there's a lawsuit right
7: right and you know I, i'm still kind of trying to figure out you know where we go from here and how this how quickly this this impacts farmers and you know what this really means um you know we all know farmers are 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 the first first line of defense when it comes to the environment and so being able to work together with farmers is important and this does not seem like epa at least from the sense that they weren't using maybe the data that really is on the ground use data uh, it does make you wonder, you know, how, how is this going to impact producers everywhere? And so we're, we're still trying to figure this out. That was the end of the week last week. I'm hoping to maybe connect with someone at EPA this week to kind of answer some more of those questions on on how farmers can really manage and what could be a very troubling environment.
0: Well, Jackie, farmers also need fertilizer. I understand last week several testified in front of the International Trade Commission about that need and the price. what they say?
7: Yeah, you know, we've had so much discussion about these tariffs. Um, You know, this comes after the CF Industries had filed a petition with the International Trade Commission in late 2021 asking that the commission put tariffs on the uh, UAN, the urea ammonium nitrate uh, imports from Russia and Trinidad and Tobago. But you know this this last hearing actually there was a lot of concerns from um, national corn growers were able to testify a lot of uh, representatives on Capitol Hill also were testifying senators about how important this is you know we've already seen uh, that you know UAN accounts for more than 50 percent of fertilizer expenses and we've seen those costs go up almost 300 percent this year so this is not just a little bit of an increase Um, and so this is this is starting to really impact farmers' decision am I going to put more UAN on am I going to use less? Can I manage those prices? And so if we see tariffs on there, it, it, it could increase prices even more. And, and like I, I said, going back to can we continue to be productive? Can we pr- continue to use the tools that we have to be able to make sure that we have as much crop coming out, especially right now when we are in potential shortages worldwide? And so we'll, we'll see a decision yet this summer on whether the ITC will apply those tariffs. And, uh, you know, from the folks. In the ag industry, they are saying, please don't put those tariffs on.
0: Indeed, they are anything to keep costs down to a manageable level. Jackie Fatka, policy editor at Farm Progress, thanks for joining us today.
7: Always great. Have a great week.
0: Folks, we'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Hey, Dad.
2: public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
7: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block
4: In my 40-plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the Census of Agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. Ag census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash agcensus. Thank you.
6: When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.
5: Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safexcavator.com for
2: more info.
0: Every Tuesday, we'll be Sitting Around the Table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, we just spoke with Jackie Fatka there about the tariff discussions happening at the International Trade Commission in Washington, DC, and the testimony that uh, they heard last week from growers who would see this fertilizer tariff impact their bottom lines. And I wanted to make sure everybody was aware that the comment period for this tariff, these tariffs go into effect, um, was extended. Uh, Previously this, uh, this comment period was expected to end last Wednesday. However, because it is such an issue of uh, of concern to America's growers and producers, the USDA has extended this comment period until July 15th. So if you'd like to log on, make sure your voice is heard with regard to tariffs in the fertilizer system, you can visit federalregister.gov. That's the place every law is posted, folks. Bookmark that on your, your browser if you want some good bedtime reading material. Um, but if you get on that website, federalregister.gov, and you search for access to fertilizer 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 competition and supply chain concerns that'll take you right to the page you can click to submit a formal comment and let them know how higher priced fertilizer would impact your operation that is there and I will also post that up on our show Twitter page you can find us at AOA underscore talk show and I mentioned that Twitter page because I want to circle back to a conversation we had on the show on Friday I spoke with David McNeil the director of climate risk over at sustainable Fitch the ratings agency based in London. And we were talking about climate risk and how investors are using climate change and ESG concerns to manage their investment. He talked about the size of investors that are in this category, $2.3 trillion under investment in the ESG space, the carbon space, the climate space very broadly. And I got comments from uh, from several of our listeners love to hear from you folks. And they were saying, Well, what's the pushback coming against this ESG climate investment? And so I did some looking. And in fact, there is quite a bit of pushback. In fact, it was announced on Thursday that West Virginia is going to boycott six leading finance firms because they are opposed to fossil fuel lending. Uh, The West Virginia State Treasury has announced that in 45 days, they are going to place these six firms on their blacklist. These companies will not be allowed to do any business through a contract with the state. Um, this would be BlackRock, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and US Bank. As of right now, West Virginia has put in requests to those companies asking them to prove that they are not turning their back on traditional energy if they do not prove it to a sufficient amount to uh, Treasury Secretary Moore there in West Virginia in 45 days, those six countries would not be allowed to enter any more any more contracts with the state. Now, this is not a solo West Virginia deal. This is being pursued by a 15-state coalition that was put together with West Virginia as the leader. Remember, West Virginia is very, very concerned about coal financing. These six financial firms have made comments about backing away from investing in the energy space. They've made comments about getting away from those investments that release a lot of GHGs, greenhouse Gases and carbon, coal, of course, would be one of them. And West Virginia is saying, hey, We need this coal in the environment. We need this coal in the economy. Germany is gonna crank back up their coal-fired power plants, they announced earlier this week. So this is an important issue for them. So that's the pushback we're seeing on the state side. And then there is also pushback coming from the investment community itself. It was announced that the SEC, Security and Exchange Commission, is going to be investigating Goldman Sachs ESG, that Environment, Sustainability, and Governance-based mutual fund. Uh, The SEC is concerned that perhaps the definitions being used in this space aren't always uh, held held to term. And we're seeing some of the other announcements and requirements for representing an investment as ESG compliant, maybe is fungible. It's not quite as solid as the folks at the SEC would like. So they are going to begin auditing and investing exactly how these investments are being, uh, excuse me, investigate how these investments are being made with regard to clean energy or ESG. Golden Saks has four funds that specifically invest in that category, and those are the four that will be under fire. So not only are we seeing the states sort of push back, I suppose, in their own interest against these uh, investor-led proposals, we're also seeing the SEC try to find ways to crack down. In other news, folks, last week I talked about Brazil potentially looking to sell their state-owned state-owned oil company, Petrobras. Um, that was pitched by Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. He has been frustrated at the way Petrobras has been managing gasoline prices in the country. They have had to raise prices, and just like here, it's not terribly politically popular when oil prices go up. Now, of course, in this country, uh, you know, President Biden gets to blame the oil refineries or the Saudis or whoever, because the US government doesn't own the oil production apparatus. Well, that's different in Brazil. The government owns Petrobras, so when the Brazilian consumer sees their prices rising, effectively to them it's the government raising prices and that does not look great for a president so bolsonaro has pushed for them to lower the prices the company has balked and in fact this past week raised prices from their refineries by 5.2 percent it's about they they raised them up uh, really just about 15 cents per liter and they also raised diesel prices up to 561 so another politically unpopular move made by this company And folks, we got a news update that I don't think it's going to surprise any of us. If you have been out to eat here in the past year it is taking longer and it is costing more yelp has released a survey of restaurants and they have found that 13 million diners were seated at restaurants this is using yelp's data and that's an increase of more than 48 percent compared to first quarter 2021 so that's a good sign consumers are getting out they're eating more they're spending that premium for food at a restaurant establishment however there is some downside Complaints over short-staffed restaurants and long waits were up 221% year over year, folks. So if you're planning to go out there, and enjoy a fine steak at a great establishment, Be prepared to pay a little bit more and to maybe wait a little bit longer. Still trying to work through these supply chains throughout the world of restaurants. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to be talking with our friends at Agroxane. And we'll be checking in with GT Glenn Thompson of the House Ag Committee. Don't miss the show on Tuesday for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's.
7: The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed, it affects everyone who supports and helps care for them.
3: If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers, answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care and local
7: support, give you tips for living a better life, and share the latest research.
4: Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's.
3: To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call
7: 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636.
2: The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together.